0: Hello, hello and welcome to another two-network match report with me, Adam. We played Brighton yesterday. It finished nil-nil in what was a pretty uninspiring performance from either side, I thought. We went with a 4-4-2 again. Hosolu and Gale up front. Atsu came back in. Richie came back in. Marino came back in. Dummett started again. And... Obviously, with the injury um, picked up during the Man City game by Elliot, Darlow filled the void in goal. So it was a game that was pretty much lacking in, 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 in very much incident, really. It was It was pretty turgid first half, to be honest. Um, I thought that after a very strong first five minutes from ourselves, I thought it was Brighton who looked a lot more comfortable in possession. they passed it around well they were just composed on the ball and but uh, having said that, given that we had contained a lot of Manchester City's attacks in the week, we were well drilled in terms of containing their advances and actually from open play, I don't think and this goes for the second half as well I don't think Brighton, were able to create that many clear-cut chances at all i thought we limited them quite significantly to maybe shots from outside the box and that was i mean that was the clear strength of oh, i say strength we 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 struggled to create chances chances of 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 um a meaningful impact i guess but I thought in the first half, Brighton were still the strongest um, in terms of possession. And in terms of the threat that they posed from set pieces, now they're a huge side. They really are. Glenn Murray disappointed me, actually. Um, he's a player who, a very un- unglamorous player, traditionally unglamorous players, I would I would say. But he always seems to pop up with goals and he's the kind of player who would pop up against us and, 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 and score. But I thought he was he was bullied out the game a bit, and he resorted to dropping to the deck any time he got a chance to try and win a cheap free kick. In fair play to him, he he managed to win a few. There was a couple that he didn't get go his way, and he made his mouth go. But I I thought his attitude was quite poor yesterday. Um, certainly, I'm sure Brighton fans would probably agree with me there that you know he's the kind of talisman up front, and he wasn't able to. You spent more time you know trying, complaining rather than actually just getting on with it the fact um, you know the, the, the very idea that, that that little Yedlin could outmuscle big Glenn Murray is just laughable really but that's where we're at and <clears throat> they limited us to few chances in the first half um, but from as I was saying, from set pieces from corner kicks, which they amassed quite a few, they look so, so dangerous. And with with Carl Darlo in for Elliot, Carl Darlo just doesn't have the command of his box, the command of his area, as Elliot does. There was a few times against Man City, Elliot, you know, came for the ball and you felt quite confident that he was gonna he was gonna, you know, grasp it out the air, and he did so. Whereas Darlow, now, whether he his path was just continuously blocked by players, whether the box was too crowded, <clears throat> he didn't really seem to come for anything or feel confident coming for anything. And you know, f- f- for me, for uh, you know, the the big advantage that defending teams have from corners and set pieces is that they is that they have a goalkeeper who right should be able to reach because he can use his hands we should have at least one player who can outjump any aerial threat that the opposition might face uh, that we might face from the opposition and you know the likes of you know Dunk and Duffy and and Murray and Dollar just didn't get anywhere near them whether that was whether he intended to just not go for them or whether he was just flat-footed, I, I, I don't know what it was, but it, every time a ball floated in anywhere near our six-yard box, I, you know, I, I I winced because I didn't I didn't back Darlow to win those balls. Whereas, actually, from from a defending point of view, when we have Hoslo in there, who has won over a hundred aerial chills this season, you've got Lascelles, who I thought was absolutely fantastic yesterday as as, as a plus point. He he seemed to win a he seemed to win a lot in the air and I thought he 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 showed a very good commanding performance. Um, I felt thought Lascelles was probably my man of the match yesterday, and it was kind of left to our defenders just to head it away, which obviously we did in the end. But it's such it's such a risk. I don't th- I don't I don't think you can you can leave it to chance against such a, a big physical team as, as with Brighton. But from open play, they, they, were, they were very blunt, I thought. And as, as were Newcastle, uh, both teams, and I think this is why it was quite a, quite a turgid game to watch really. Um, there was a noticeable change in atmosphere from Wednesday night, um, in that on Wednesday night against Man City, the expectations were, were, were right down. We were just kind of there for a nice spectacle and the, and i think honestly the the, the mood shift r- really had an effect on the players i don't know what you thought it was like if you were there in the, in the stadium but you know any any pass that went backwards or sideways there were tuts, there were oh come on man play it forward play it forward and you know as much as you want to be assertive with the ball i think it's given how poorly we keep possession surely it's more important that if we can't find a route through we play it back to the goalkeeper we retain possession and we start again and see if we can get through again for me, for me that, 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 that's, that's just logic would you rather we hoofed it up front and it just goes straight to them you know what, 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 do, what do people want it makes more sense to, to retain possession and then try again if they have the ball then we, we can't do anything so, and we're on the back foot so I thought the crowd were a lot more hostile yesterday. And I think that, I think this, and, and right, rightly so, there was, a, a, a you know, expectation levels were raised because we were playing against, you know, a, a fellow a promoted side, a team that we feel that we really could and should be getting three points against. But at the same time, it was that, we we kind of reverted to old Newcastle support where if we're not 1-0 up in the first 20 minutes everyone just gets really arsy in the crowd and gets on the players backs and i thought that happened yesterday and it it was a it, i wouldn't say it was a toxic atmosphere it wasn't but it was um it was very disconcerting i think and it's it's just unhelpful and it you know every time Rafa Benitez gets in a press conference <clears throat> he speaks about us being together sticking together unity and we don't look like a team that isn't playing for each other isn't playing for the manager we're fighting hard we are and you can see even when we've been defeated we are they're trying they really are trying and if they're not trying it's probably because they're knackered or pagged or but I don't. I don't think it's anything to do with mentality. I think even the defensive mistakes that we've made, which have lambasted the players for. Even you know they're genuine mistakes. They're they're honest mistakes. Their, 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 nobody's. We haven't got any bad apples in that respect. I think everyone's really trying. Even the likes of Shelby and Mitrovic, who seriously have disciplinary issues, and that that, that that's a big reason why they're not getting games under Rafa Benitez. And when they do come on the pitch, are they contributing enough to warrant Rafa Benitez to think that's justified? The Mitrovic thing, obviously he is said he's moving on because he wants first team football, which is fair enough. But I think the main reason Mitrovic, I mean, as you might know from watching my videos, I quite like Mitrovic. I think he's a good goal scorer, but I understand the logic in not playing him if Rafa doesn't feel that he trusts him to carry out the team instructions for the wider strategy if there's one player just doing his own thing that's not going to work and if we feel that he's not playing his role correctly then that's going to have a a wider impact on how well the, the, the overall system works so we're just limited, we're just limited, and and, and talking about strikers, we play Hossloo and Gale up front from the, from the start, you've basically got Perez to come on if there's anything wrong, but even he's not kind of out-and-out out striker. <clears throat> I thought, honestly, I thought the two front men worked pretty hard, and I thought Gale in particular was probably one of our standout players yesterday. Now, some people might disagree with that, but I thought he was... anticipate i thought he was sharp i thought he he was let down quite a lot by his touch yesterday i thought there was a few occasions where he could have just made a simple layoff and for whatever reason he's just he's he's miscontrolled it or it's bounced off he doesn't he he isn't able to make the ball stick as hosloo can and hosloo can do that quite well but i just thought his anticipation was was really good so in the first half when he made that diagonal run across, and Marino played him in with a sort of reverse blind ball, I thought that was exquisite from both of them, and and the pace that Gale showed to, to latch onto that and get a get a shot away from quite an acute angle, pretty much gave us our only you know our biggest chance in the first half. <clears throat> but I thought he was he was really busy, and I thought he created a lot of problems for their defenders who aren't necessarily quite quick. The problem was in the second half, when we took Hossolu off, was and we pushed Perez up front and Murphy came on, was we still continue to play high long balls when Hossolu wasn't on the pitch. That's fine when he's on the pitch because he'll, he'll win most, most balls that he goes up for most, most of the aerial duels. But when he's not on the pitch, don't fire it up high and long to Gale. Because Gale's here. Lewis dunks up there. He's, he hasn't got a chance. Even Perez isn't going to win that many headers either. Now, in Gale's credit, he did win a couple of flick-ons, but again, to who? And there was nobody around him to, to support that. I thought, I thought Atsu looked really fatigued. And... But at the same time, given his performance against West Ham in our last victory a couple of games ago, I sort of understand why Rafa kept him on because he probably felt that he was our biggest threat. And indeed, it was Atsu and Gale who combined against Man City for that diving header that went just past the post. And again, they combined in the second half in a great move that led to an absolutely fantastic reactionary save from... Um, Ryan and goal for Brighton. And that really was, I mean, I, I that was half out my seat, I thought that was in. So that was an, a fantastic save. And it's the kind of thing that if, Gale, if that goes in, Gale scores, we, we win a, a game, a narrow 1 0, we go up on a 21 points by the new year. Rafa's target was 20 points by the new year, so we're, we're a point up on his target. We've won two of the last three. We've stopped the rot at home. We've got a clean sheet and suddenly things are looking pretty peachy. And, you know, with an extra couple of points, we'd have been up in the 13th place. So we'd be looking really rosy going into the game against Stoke away. But as it happened, that reactionary save was the difference between a very turgid draw and everything's terrible and... Misery, 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 or oh, things are looking really good now. We've won two of the last three. Things are classed, Gale's scoring another one, you know. It, it's fine margins. It really is fine margins, and it seems that we really do need... Rafa's right, we really do need to stick together as fans, and we really do need to back the boys, because with it being so tight, all it takes is just a little bit of luck or a little, a little run, and we can get ourselves out of this but the main issue for me and one of the big positives you can get from sorry to start one of the big positives we can get from yesterday's game and many might be thinking there's no positives to get from that we don't look if we can't beat brighton at, at home we will we'll not be able to beat anybody i don't think that's the case but would i would i would i've hoped we'd have won yesterday yes of course do i think we've got the squad players to do that Against Brighton? Maybe. But I don't think it's as a, a given as it was last season, for example. Um, Brighton strengthened more than we did. And they understood that to stay in the division, you've got to be. You know, there's rumours going around that they're putting in £18 million pound for Moussa Dembele from Celtic. Whether that's true or not, at least they're getting linked and money is supposedly looking to be spent now with us i don't even know if rafa knows what his transfer budget is mike ashley's in america or wherever the hell he is how is that helping the situation rumors that the takeover collapse this week have been um denied by both sides which is positive news the talks are ongoing but if mike ashley's not in the country. Can it, is he really going to be, be making those big decisions? His lawyers will obviously be there, his representatives will be there, but ultimately he's the one who'll be signing all this off. He's the one that needs to set a budget if he's not going to sell. So what's happening? It's all this uncertainty, this off-the-field turmoil that we're in. There's no way that that doesn't affect what happens on the pitch. There's no way that doesn't affect the players' mindsets, or even Rafa Benitez's mindset. It's, it's awful conditions to work under. So I think we have to take this into context. We haven't kept a clean sheet at home since the 21st of October when we beat Crystal Palace 1-0, Marino's header. That's, that's over two months. That's close to two and a half months without keeping a clean sheet at home. Yet we did it yesterday. That is a huge plus for us given that a month ago we were losing three Four, three game goals a game, and it was we weren't even competitive that's a big positive for me, and I think the fact that we still have the second best goal difference in this, in the second, in, in the bottom half is very, very important. A lot of people are dismissing it as well it doesn't really matter, does it? It really does matter if we look at the bottom half here, we have Brighton on 22. Southampton, Bournemouth, Stoke on 20. Newcastle on 19. Crystal Palace, West Ham on 18. Swansea, 16. The, that, the bottom half of the league is so tight that to have the second best goal difference is worth an extra point. And it's, and it's stuff like that. It's, it's it, it, Facts like that. And statistics like that that could help us stay out of the relegation zone come what may. So don't... Don't underestimate how important it is. And and, and the fact that we've kept a clean sheet is massive. And we've kept a clean sheet without Rob Elliott in goal, who is our better goalkeeper. So that's important. There's a a rot that's been stopped there, even if we haven't got the three points. The biggest thing for me yesterday was that we didn't lose what was a a relegation six pointer against a rival. We didn't lose that. If we lose that, we get pushed further down. And our rivals springboard off us and are, are further out of sight. As it happens, they're only they're only three points ahead of us. And that's very, very retrievable. It really is. So you know, Bournemouth got a win yesterday, that maybe didn't help us. You know, we've got Crystal Palace and well Stoke got absolutely tonked didn't they off Man City 5-0 oh but at least they went for it no what's happening is now Stoke's goal difference is minus 23 they're a point ahead of us Stoke on 20 and we're on 19 Stoke's goal difference is minus 23 Newcastle's goal difference is minus 11 they're 12 goals worse off than we are that counts for something that really does count for something so that, 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 that's my positivity that, that, that's something to hang our hat on from yesterday's game we're a point further away from the relegation zone and we kept a clean sheet for the first time at home in over two months that, that means something and that's something that we can take forward and that shows great commitment and it, do you know what I it, mean? I really think it's the it, it's the, the influence of Jamal LaSalle it really is And and you know what, it was great to see Paul Dummett back in. I think he's a better player than Mankio. Possibly not going forward, but I think defensively, positionally, aerially, I think Dummett's better. I really do. And I thought he's put a couple of solid games in the last two games, given that he's been out for so long, since the first game of the season. So I'm really pleased that Dummett's back in. But what I was going to say earlier is our main problem, which is goals and it, 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 it's nothing revelatory everybody knows this yesterday we managed two shots on target out of 11 so the the chances were there ultimately chances were there we just couldn't we just couldn't we didn't have the conviction in front of goal we didn't have the composure to finish chances as i mentioned before gale had a header that was expertly saved from uh, ryan and before that, we had a just after the break, we had a corner which I think came out of Hayden, and he fired it into a, a you know a it was like a pinball machine into a into a forest of bodies, and it deflected off. I, I, I honestly couldn't see from where I was sitting if it was deflected or if it was another shot, but steered towards the goal. But Ryan again made an absolutely worldly save when it, the whole stadium thought that was in. So there's two really good saves there if. Things just go slightly differently from us, we get a 1-0 and things are looking peachy but, it, but it's, as I said it's fine margins, I, I don't want to come on the lads like a ton of bricks but <clears throat> we need a striker, we need lots of positions don't get me wrong but I think goals will ultimately keep us in this division Middlesbrough were relegated last season because of a lack of goals they had a pretty sturdy defense for most of the season, but they struggled with goals. Gales actually had a decent five six weeks. He scored against Leicester, Man United, Chelsea. He's nearly scored in the last two games as well. He looks at our biggest goal threat in the minute, so. I think we need to be playing him more. Uh, certainly every game. I know he didn't. Uh, he didn't start against Man City. <clears throat> but that was obviously part of a larger game plan. I think the, the game plan against Man City was to play two very quick players in Murphy and Aaron's who were fresh who could go. I mean this might explain why Atsu didn't start against Man City and everyone everyone was having kittens because was, you know, maybe maybe Atsu was fatigued in training and maybe that was proved yesterday that he just didn't have he just doesn't have the fitness and the and, and, and the energy. To sort of have another game like like West Ham back to back, I don't know what's going on there, but there was a definite game plan against Man City. We did intend to have some sort of attacking threat, and we did have an attacking threat. What 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 baffles me about this this draw this draw yesterday against Brighton is that this, for start, there's like this the self entitlement that we that we that a, any home game is a th- should be three points to an extent I agree with that and against against Brighton a team that I feel we should be beating to an extent I agree with that but, but the reality is whether you like it or not, Brighton are a better team than us because they're three points ahead of us in the league, they've got a slightly better goal difference they're better with possession than us they're a bigger threat from set pieces than us Yesterday they certainly had better delivery than us. From dead balls, I was quite disappointed with a few of Richie's corners, not clearing the first man and free kick that not clear, not, didn't clear the first man. Um, he sent a really good ball off in the in the first half. I thought uh, Richie which, which 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 came close, but we, we're, we're, that's another area we're struggling from. When Shelby's not on the pitch, we don't get that delivery, and that's that, you know that's that's the, that's the kind of the payoff. Um, sorry, that's that's how you offset it. So it's it's that's the caveat of that. But Brighton just looked a more comfortable outfit than us. They ended the game with uh, more possession, which was kind of unsurprising, given that we just don't have the players that are comfortable in possession, and this is why we lose the ball. This is why we really don't like passing it back, uh, passing it around, and why we kind of resort to aiming for Hossloo's head to ask questions of the defenders. Uh, Two shots on target out of 11 shots in total isn't good enough. I've looked back the last four games that we've played. And the last four games that we've played, we've managed 10 shots on target, full stop. 10. 10 shots on target. An average of two and a half shots every game. Now, it's only one of those games that we've scored, and that was the West Ham game where we looked quite rampant, shaky at the back but, uh, to an extent, but rampant going forward on the counter-attack. We weren't able to do that yesterday, um, despite the same players being on the pitch. But that's the crux of it. You, you will not get out the division, you will not you remain in the division with averaging 2.5 shots per game on target. Because for every two and a half shots on target, the chances of scoring are pretty. Will be under one a game. Well, under one. So that's that's really worrying, and that is why we need a striker. Do we bring Ings in? Is Ings any good anymore? I don't know. It could be like a Bonnie situation. Who's you know he hasn't played in ages and actually just disappears into the wilderness storage would be this point of at this point I think it's a risk worth taking at the start of the season I thought are we really going to pay that much for somebody even wages wise or a loan fee for somebody who you can never guarantee to be fit it's like the Andy Carroll thing you never guarantee to be fit so why you, you can't rely on them however in the situation where we're at daniel storage has guile he has class and he's a natural finisher even if he's only fit for, you know, half of the time between January and May, if we were to bring him in, <clears throat> is that a risk worth taking? I think so, but again, it's going to rely on who's, you know, what what transfer budget, what wage budget we're setting for the January transfer window, and that comes down to one man and one man alone, and that's Mike Ashley. Trafford doesn't know how. If he still doesn't know how, is you know the transfer window opens tomorrow. Virgil Van Dijk's already moved. Not officially, he'll move a minute after midnight tonight. But it, that deal's done. So deals can get done now if we want them to. But it'll be another. It'd be a classic Newcastle transfer window. We'll mess around for the first couple of weeks because Rafa won't know what's happening you'll have no direction, you have no wage budget or transfer budget, you'll scrabble around for a couple of loans, and then on transfer deadline day we'll try and get three or four deals done, because we've left it that long, because we don't know what's happening. That, it, 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 that, that's going to happen. So who who else is there to bring in? You see Everton are signing the, 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 the Turkish guy, Tossen, who we've been linked with, but for 25 million, or 25 million euros, whatever it is, we're not going to pay that kind of money. Certainly not under this regime. So we can't compete with that. Sandro, the, the Ramirez guy from from Everton, who they bought from from the La, La, La league after having a you know a spectacular season, hasn't had a sniff, hasn't had a look in. Is it just because he hasn't adapted to Premier League life? Is he worth getting in on on, on loan if Rafa was genuinely after him in, in the summer? So that's an option potentially. Is Giroud an option? We've got to look at... Uh, Batshuayi is not getting a game at all. We've got to look at strikers that want to play in the World Cup. That want to play every game in the Premier League from now until the World Cup to try and prove themselves. Look, Remy did something similar and he was fantastic. He did his reputation no harm at Newcastle. So... There'll be players out there that can make a difference, that have the quality, but it's whether we can attract them because it's whether or not we can pay them the wages they want, whether we can offer the loan fee to their parent club if they want. I think we'd rule out most tr- transfers. I think it'll be all about loans uh, this, this January. Maybe the odd actual signing, but is it going to be another situation where if we have this little, that little money that Rafa can't even, Rafa's going to have to bring in bargain basement deals like Hossolu and Mankio. No disrespect to them, but they they wouldn't they wouldn't have been on his original shopping list of course they wouldn't you know i'm seeing a lot of outrage uh, particularly on Facebook a lot of raffer out honestly with uh, it, it, oh well if, if this was Par we wouldn't be saying this everyone's um everyone's brown nose and raffer and it's just like well raffer's got Rafa's not even in the same league as man. Everything Rafa Benitez does is meticulous, there's logic and reason behind it. Does it always come off? No. He's not superhuman, nobody is. It's like giving, you know, Michael Schumacher in his peak, it's like giving him a bloody corset to go around F1 with. you can have a great man at the helm but if he hasn't got the tools in which to do his job and to to do his job at the best of his abilities then you know an argument I had yesterday on Facebook which I just end up walking away from because it turned into a uh, Rafa out he's shite and he's just like well he's not is he Rafa Benitez is not shite if there's one thing The, the guy eats sleeps and breathes football he's constantly thinking he's got multiple strategies you look at Pardew and McLaren and people like that which we've had recently they wouldn't have even thought of half it would have been it's just roll the dice for them there's no reason behind what they're doing they just they don't learn from the mistakes those guys which is why they they can only manage to stay in a job for 18 months here and a year there and why they get sacked yeah Rafa Benitez has been sacked from a couple of places but do you know what the amount of silverware he's got to show for what he can do is is beyond question. Is beyond question. Last season, he, he literally finished in the best position he possibly could. That's not an easy thing to do. But he did it. If people can't see that the, the, the main reason we are where we are is because of a different man. Mike, Mike Ashley wants us to be in fighting. He gets pleasure from it. He's a sadist. He doesn't care about us. Who does care about us? Rafa Benitez cares about us. He could have walked away. He didn't. He took the hard job in the Championship, which I could, I could not name another elite manager, a UEFA elite manager, which he is, who's won as much as he has. League titles. Cups. Champions League, Europa League, who would take on a second tier job. Under, what has to be said, an absolute bastard in an owner. And until he goes, Rafa's screwed and he can't do his job properly. Am I defending everything he does? No. But it's important context to remember. You know, so, so some of the arguments, are oh, well Sean Dyche has taken Burnley to fifth, brilliant! he's not there anymore. he's sinking away, he's dropping they've had a really impressive start to the season but is it sustainable in the Premier League? no, on the wage budget that they're at on Burnley which I think is either the lowest or the second lowest in the league they're doing, they're working wonders but the Premier League is unforgiving the universe equalises every single time why are Leicester not challenging for the title this season? because they won it two years ago surely they should be up in the Champions League places Well it's not. Leicester are probably where Leicester should be, 10th to 8th. Will Burnley stay in the top 7? I don't think so. Probably not. They'll sink maybe past 10th, maybe 11th, 12th, 13th. They've got a very good defence. But can they do that next season and the season after, on the same wage budget, on the same transfer budget? Not a chance. So I dismiss that argument because it's an anomaly, and anomalies happen in football. Leicester when the league, for example, was an anomaly. Alan Pardew finishing fifth with Newcastle was an anomaly. That doesn't make him an elite manager. It was a perfect storm of, 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 of circumstances. I'll give him his credit. It was a fantastic season. It was really enjoyable to watch, but it's unsustainable. What Rafa Benitez can do will be will be sustainable can't get me words out now too angry will be sustainable if he's given the right tools because there's method behind everything that he does and he over and he analyzes and he nitpicks and he looks at he looks at improving percentages here and there all over the pitch anyone we haven't had hasn't come near to doing that and even the likes of you know bobby robson was inspiring a man but probably not as tactically meticulous as Rafa Benitez. Kevin Keegan probably didn't do much with tactics when he was managing Newcastle but he was more about, he was a great man motivator. He was fantastic at getting the best out of his players in that way. So, yes, there is a reason that we don't treat Rafa Benitez in the same way as we treat Previous managers. McLaren got 80 million to spend without having to sell anybody. And he, you know, he spunked it all on players that probably didn't fit his system because guess what? He probably didn't even have a system. He didn't know what he was doing. And maybe that was to do with the regime and that there was lack of communication between what, you know, that it, was just, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. Rafa Benitez has been screwed over the last two transfer windows. He's probably going to be screwed over for a third. That's not good enough. But it's crucial now that we back him. That fans back him. And what he's trying to do. We're not... It's difficult because we probably play better against teams that we've, had a, we've been beaten against than we have... yesterday against Brighton. We didn't do enough up front... Had we done just a little bit more, we've won 1-0 and it's happy. and We're all happy and we're, we're delighted and we all have a, a great new year. It's margins. But we have a chance to put it right at the Britannia Stadium against Stoke tomorrow. That's going to be a huge game. As I mentioned, they're a, they're a place and a point above us. But we have a far superior goal difference. We have to pull out another West Ham game, really. I think a, I think a win... Gets us to where we need to be. Rafa's target was 20 points at, at the turn of the year. If we beat Stoke we're on 22. If we, if we draw at Stoke, which I still don't think would be a terrible result given the context of where we're at and the quality in the squad. We're a day off his target of 20. One day. So, Perspective. If Rafa was to go, like some mental Newcastle fans think, mainly on Facebook, quite, quite rife over there, then who, who comes in? Who comes in that could do a better job? Who comes in with that CV? Who comes in that isn't just going to be the likes of the, the classic... I mean, they're all off the roundabout at the minute because it's the likes of Moyes... Pardew, Allardyce, Poulos, you know. Oh, do we? Who do we get in? Do we get in Gary Monk? Karanka, you know these kind of players. uh, These kind of managers. Oh no! We'll just get Ancelotti in. Well, (laughs) obviously that's ridiculous, but. Rafa Benitez is an elite UEFA manager, and I think to even believe that we could do better at this point without him is insanity. It's insanity. Anyway. Going back to the game, we had a uh, there was a couple of penalty incidents. Again, Gail was involved in one of them. Marina was involved in another. Now I've I've seen the replay back of the Marina one where he, you remember the one um in the second half where he sort of did a he did a turn. Um, he kind of did a 180 turn, dragged dragged the ball back with his studs. And Bruno went in on him. Now, having seen that replay a couple of times, Bruno does seem to get a foot on the ball. It's a very clumsy challenge, but I think he gets a foot on the ball, and I don't think that's a penalty. However, I haven't seen the other Gale one. I know he dived against Man City, but that looked to me like the, there was something in that Gale one um, against Brighton. Now, it's just one of those things. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't as clear-cut as it needed to be. But yes so there we go a um, couple of chances at their end the reactionary saves and the couple of penalty shouts that never were but I thought defensively we were very very sound I'd give Jamal Sells as I mentioned man of the match but we just need more firepower up front and we probably need to give Rotate our wingers a bit because Richie Natsu just looked a bit knackered I think Richie's been a bit burned out the last month or so I like to see how hungry Murphy are, Murphy and Aaron's are, and maybe we need to utilise Shelby a bit more to help with the deliveries from set players. But anyway, since uh, apologies has been a bit of a long one, uh, but since just quickly, since it's uh, New Year's Eve today, uh, a very happy New Year to all my followers and subscribers, and I've really really enjoyed doing these videos for you. I'm going to continue to do so after stoke (laughs) even as well and it it means a lot all your comments um, and all your views it really does mean a lot i really enjoy doing this and it's nice to know people are out there and you know following what what all the all the rubbish i have to say anyway but i thought as it was new year i'd look back on my top three moments of 2017 for newcastle united so i'd put number At number three, I'll do countdown backwards, number three, my third top moment of 2017 was the announcement that there were serious bidders um, in terms of PCP and Amanda Staveley in acquiring the club. Obviously those talks are ongoing, they might never come to completion, they might collapse or it might come through but for for the sheer hope, for the simple hope that that brought when we first all found out about it and that Mike Ashley was seriously considering them, you know, selling, it just allowed us to escape and to close our eyes and just imagine what life could be like with proper backing and with Mike Ashley well out the picture, which might still be a reality, let's hope it is, but for that hope alone, that is my top, you know, my, my third top moment of 2017. Second would have to be the championship win on that day where Jack Grealish's goal against Brighton in the dying minutes just after Gale had scored and it was um, you cast going up, someone going down and then that kind of raucous gradually building a cacophony of sound around the, the celebrations, and then the way the players celebrated the ultimately what was a league win, was absolutely it was so special to be at that game and to be part of that moment and to kind of be celebrating and not knowing if you should be celebrating because you're trying to you've got no 4G in the stadium and you're trying to refresh results to know if it's actually true or not, and only when I saw it on my, my mate's phone did I then erupt uh, into celebration. But I thought that was a a, a fantastic day. It was really really good fun to be at that one and just a great atmosphere but my top moment of 2017 for Newcastle United is a bit of a personal one and if you've seen a few of my videos from a couple of months ago then you'll know that I met Rafa Benitez um, at the training ground and got to spend an hour and a half with him and it was absolutely fantastic so I, it, talking to him gives me a lot of context about what's going on now and what maybe why I defend him more than some others do, but I know what he's trying to do and he really cares for this club. So back him. Anyway, we'll see you after Stoke. Happy New Year everyone. I've been Adam of the Toon Network. Subscribe on YouTube,'re we on SoundCloud and iTunes as well. Follow us on Twitter and get your favorite at the Toon Network. Get your favorite Newcastle moments of 2017, however incidental, love to hear from you. We're on Facebook as well. All the best for the New Year everyone, I hope you had a great Christmas, Happy New Year and here's to a prosperous 2018. Thanks very much everyone, bye bye <laughs>